0: Hello everybody, Chris Martinson here, and today we're gonna be talking about finance and economics as part of Finance U. Remember, anything that you see in this video and all resources available at our websites or affiliated websites are not intended as or construed as financial advice. This is for educational purposes. Remember, if you have a financial decision, please consult a financial professional. We are not attorneys, we're not CPAs, we are not financial managers. As well, we do our best to be accurate, and everything we represent is as accurate as we know it to be. Now, let's turn to our program. Hello, everyone. Chris Martinson here with Paul Kiker of Kiker Wealth Management. And of course, Paul and I, we just saw each other. Hey, Paul. Good hey, to France. see you again.
1: It's great What's to that? see you again. What a wonderful event the Honey Badger Gathering was. Oh, it's so good to see you and meet you in
0: person and have you standing in our cow field with with Holly and, and uh, just doing everything you did to help. Um, You just stepped right into an emergency the first night, the pizza emergency, the great pizza escape, you know, emergency of 2023. But thanks so much for how you just stepped in and helped. And and of course, your presentations were super well received. People love talking
1: to you. So that was great to see,
0: too. Thank you. I tell you, Chris,
1: it was it was wonderful to meet everyone. Incredibly intelligent. Incredibly well-researched, uh, curious people who are courageous enough to follow the truth wherever wherever will take them. So I, I just thoroughly enjoyed meeting every single person that I met and got a chance to fellowship with.
0: Oh, that is fantastic! I, I really had my mind blown there. Just all the people coming with all their stories, great presentations by everybody, um, and you know, we handed out uh, this year for people who are listening, if you weren't there, you don't know that that we handed out two different, they're called challenge coins, right? Really nicely made copper, you know, engraved things, peak prosperity. One's a knowledge coin. So everybody who gave a presentation uh, was up on stage, brought their best selves, got, got one of those. Um, and then we started handing out uh, what are called mentorship coins. And there's only five of those that we were able to release at that time. And and uh, so we gave those to some people who really stood out, have stood out, um, but we'll be giving out more and more of those as, as time goes on. Uh, so that was fun to do. Begin, you know, really drawing that community together, recognizing everybody for their amazing contributions because it's really a tribe, right? It's not like, Paul, people aren't coming to see some dude and is you know and Evie, right? It's it's we're yes, we're there, but they came for each other. Uh, and that's the point
1: they did and the relationships and the relationships that I had the opportunity to build with people and just the sharing of knowledge you know uh one of the events Holly and I went to was about uh, chickens and and I was pretty well researched on how I deal with my chickens but they were able to share information with me that that I immediately went back and started implementing to my flock as well plus you know all of the other conversations from food to you know it it was wonderful bonfire fellowship um you know, being at your farm is incredible. It was beautiful, it reminded me of the foothills in the North Georgia Mountains and and uh, just an incredible place, Chris.
0: Well, thanks. Thanks. It was really nice. Um, I came away learning a lot too. I came away with a, a new sense of what I'm gonna do with my soil, um, how I have to, you know, I'm gonna be good managing the garden differently, but mostly it was um, I gotta turn my phone off here because I don't like it talking to me. Um, <laughs> which is uh uh just just the importance of of the community and just you know we really just got to do I, I came away urgent came away with a sense of urgency that's weird right but I yeah. really came away and, and I got to tell you um you know I don't rest too well so one day of rest the second day after that I pulled my whole team together and I said we're gonna we we got to start doing things really differently here so we're gonna reorg pull ourselves back together really refocus on some stuff here's the bottom line summary I feel like I have to have I have I just had to clear my plate and push things that I've been doing so I can just do content. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what, that's what, that's my instinct say, that's what I need to be doing right now. So I really had to just, you know, I got a lot of CEO sort of hats. So I just got to push them off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I start explaining that to my team. Hey, you guys are going to have more work. And they were like, yes, <laughs> finally, we've been waiting for you to come to that conclusion. So this is good.
1: i tell you, you have, you have a great team. They're energetic, sure
0: do. excited,
1: excited, um, you know and 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 i'm sure they were like i was they had conversations with individuals that are connected in the uh, you know big business to to various parts of the economy who were all expressing you know just the the changes that they're seeing take place the concerns that they have right now that that they didn't have a couple of years ago so yeah putting you in a well position- it's getting
0: it's getting kind of unavoidable that 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 there's something's going on here. Right. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a cultural thing, a political thing. It's getting very, you know, it's unavoidable. So that's, I think that was, it's a process, not an event to finally realize that, Oh shoot, you know, game on, (laughs) like this is really happening, you know? And so whether it's Russell brand getting, you know, deplatformed and, you know, just, you know, raked over the coals or it's people being debanked or it's watching, you know, the insanity of what's really going on with like, it's insane. I talk with Michael Yon all the time about what's going on, about what's happening. You know, I follow what he's doing, what's coming across the border. I can't even wrap my head around that. You know, the human dimension of that. That's um, it. and it's it's crazy.
1: It is, and you know, and I saw a video uh, within the past couple of days of of some of the refugees that are coming in, and they're all, you know, military age men. I didn't see very many families. I didn't mm-hmm. see very many little children. Um, you know, I mean, Hey, um, uh, there are a lot of great things about America. That's far better than the rest of the world, but, but, you know, you need to come in the right way and and we should be concerned about, you know, hundreds, if not thousands. I don't know the numbers. I just saw a, a, a few videos of military aged men that were healthy, well-fed And coming into our country, you know, that that could very well be a dangerous thing.
0: Well, it could be uh, at a minimum, even if it's not a dangerous thing, it's clearly the priorities have been set by somebody in power to say, hey, we're putting the needs of these people over the needs of our own people. So let's call that the America last position. Right. And so now I'm reading about, oh, the government might shut down. But don't worry, the pensions and payments of people in Ukraine, those will continue even during a government shutdown, not the ones in America. Right. So, again, America last. Right. So that's the vibe I think people are starting to rightly get a little annoyed with. And it's bizarre to see it in an election cycle because usually they pretend to put America first and they're not. They're not. So that's part of the gloves have come off and they've just said America last. We don't give a we care about anything right above and beyond you, the Americans. That's let's just start there.
1: Well, it's like a family where you've got a narcissistic parent that that puts on a plastic face for the entire community and the community doesn't realize just how horrible the home life is for that family. Mm -hmm. But the kids understand fully, uh, you know, that it's complete and utter chaos at home with a plastic face outside. And I think the American people are starting to wake up to this. I mean, you, you hear with some of the rumblings that are taking place with the mayor in New York and his conversations and warnings about what the immigration in their city is doing and is going to do um people are waking up slowly but but i think they're waking up much quicker than what the those in the white house believe they are at least i hope they are chris i really hope they yeah. are
0: yeah yeah you and me both so this is going to have huge market impact so we're here to talk um all things markets. so so let's let's go there this is finance university um uh, so many things to talk about. Can I just kind of just let me just turn a couple slides real quick because um, Excellent. you know me, I like uh, slides. I'll
1: follow your lead, Chris.
0: <laughs> uh, so so let me just turn here. Let me know if if you can't see this, Um, but this is. uh I can um, see supersize it. this. Let me supersize this. Is that still showing up for you as a?
1: It is. I can see it. Great pop. pop. I like your pop. Audio. That was a big yeah. very- Chris.
0: Yeah, so I'm just I'm seeing the creaking signs, and I just want to go through these a little bit in more detail. And by the way, everybody listening, the reason I care about this is that if you at all found it distressing, the 99.95 percent survival rate, COVID, you're going to find it really awful. What's going to happen when the economy really turns, and it's going to turn because there's been this huge, gross, inept mismanagement of it, interventionist mismanagement by the Fed. And I guess, you know what, Paul, I'm going to tell you, I think these people, they're well-meaning. I think they go to sleep at night thinking they're good people. And somehow they just, you know how it is, mission creep, right? First, they had to bail out the markets once in 1987, and then 1994, then 95, then 98, you know, with long-term capital management, oops, then 2000, then 2001. Then it's just been a a never-ending, increasing management since then, right, with higher and higher levels of intervention. Okay, so we have that. So, the ten-year yield is showing is throwing off some signals to us right now. Um, you know, obviously the Fed's raising rates. That that all makes sense. But I just wanted to look at this chart here and note a couple of things. Let me see. Um, get my laser pointer out. So this is what everybody's focused on now, which is this. You know, very very steep rise from a half a percent, if you can believe it, to four six. Right. 465. And, and that that's a rate we haven't seen since 2007, 2008-ish. Um, so that's, that's that. But two things to point out. First, this is 1998 coming into 99. This is early 2000. And of course, this is the great um, crash here of 2001 and 2000-2001. But the Fed raised rates until they got that popping sound. Yes. So... I'm convinced they're going to keep raising rates till they get the next popping sound, um, yeah. which and they've told us they're going to do. That's not exactly like rocket wisdom, <laughs> right? They, they told us it's going to they're going to do it. So I think they're going to keep on with that. Um, but the other thing is this period in in this orangish circle here. This is coming in through this is 1999. This whole white band here, Nine, 2019. Sorry, 2019 coming in here, and and the treasuries were actually starting to go down this path. And by the way, this is COVID in here, um, not until here, right? 2020? That's right. Yes. Sorry, this is 2018 in the white, 2019 in the gray. But the it's to say, like people, oh, COVID, that's what drove interest rates to half a percent. But I'm like, no, there was something going on strong in here, starting in 2018, all the way through until this is COVID. COVID isn't until right here. It's that last pop down right from there. All this happened in the absence of COVID.
1: Yeah, from going back to 2000, late 2019, 18, the Fed, if I remember correctly, uh, started to raise interest rates slightly, just a quarter of a point or two. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, one of the things that we were looking at economically from a risk management standpoint is we had all kinds of signs late 2019 that we were headed into a recession and of course the market started screaming in the face of the covid concerns i remember you were warning people and talking about uh covid and what was you know uh, w- what was taking place in china at the time and the markets were you know scratching towards all time highs there before the shutdowns but uh the fed had already started lowering rates or the market was driving rates lower so you know all the money that was was printed during the covid lockdowns basically papered over what was by all a coming recession back during that period of time. And that's that's what concerns me about where we are now. All this money was printed. Everybody thinks it solves the problem. Everything's great. But we have so postponed all of these recessions in the past by this massive stimulus and intervention, at some point, it's going to come roaring back. And yes, the Fed's raised rates. But I always when I look at the rate of change from 2020 to where we are today, all I can think of is a basketball that was artificially held under the water And now it's released, you know, right? Mm -hmm. Markets pushing rates higher right now, Um, you know, stretching up to, to back to 2007, 2008. We've got a populace that does not respect debt because interest rates have been down for so long. You've got businesses which have been trying to squeeze every ounce of profit out of their business and leveraging and utilizing debt to to magnify those profits and now all of a sudden rates are changing relatively dramatically I don't think there's many people who who are prepared for that or had had um, strategically planned Um, because you know we become complacent Uh, business owners individuals come complacent and think that interest rates are going to stay down and inflation will never be a problem but we can see that it is now
0: yeah. And, and it's such a great point uh, because, you know, I'm I'm just tracking oil and there's a really big, giant structural problem in the oil markets. And of course, why, why wouldn't there be somebody decided in their infinite wisdom to come and monkey around with us and just drive prices down in a very price sensitive commodity market where you need producers to have the appropriate price signals? Right. And they were being squeezed on one side by prices are being driven down by oil that had been put in the SPR decades ago, sometimes mm-hmm. many decades ago right? At much lower prices. Doesn't matter. P- government's price insensitive. They're just driving it down. But they were also being squeezed by inflation and even shortages. So when I was talking with people, Paul, in the oil field space, 2020, 21, they couldn't get this 2 and 7 8 inch pipe they needed. When they could, it was wicked expensive because it's a very energy intensive and therefore inflation sensitive business. So they were getting crushed on one end and the other. And now we're over here going, wow, where's all the oil? This
1: is going to hurt. Yeah. And for political reasonings, we're 250 million barrels, correct, less in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Mm-hmm. And uh, oil prices are right back to where they were when they started draining the Strategic Petroleum Reserves to uh, for political purposes to make things look yeah. right. Yeah, this is the fun part, because remember, they said uh, all these people, all these Biden
0: supporters like, oh, he's such so smart or his team is. They're going to sell high, buy low. So they said, Oh, we're going to buy this back at 72. They said it. They put out a tender. They're like, We're not paying any more than 72 a barrel for this. Well, we're 20 bucks above that. So it's guess what? Quite predictably, the minute they stopped selling, the price went back the other way.
1: <laughs> You're right. Basic supply and demand. But Chris, it really seems like, and my greatest concern is in the halls of power. You, you, they're they're disconnected from reality from the political pundits to the to the economists you know you if you're making the mainstream media in most of those cases you're connected you're wanting to please those peers that are around you you know they reward group think now They they want to be surrounded by like-minded individuals that they, they're not operating on what we know as individuals iron sharpens iron you know the the, the bible can mm. And clearly says is something you need to be surrounded by somebody who's going to challenge your opinion that makes you better it's like going to the gym and lifting weights you don't get stronger without enduring some pain and you have to set your pride down yeah I'm not going to be as strong as the other guy if I'm starting out but you develop that over time and the halls of power is group things so I don't think they really understand the road to hell is paved with good intentions correct so Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, I don't think it's completely evil in their intentions, although the outcome may necessarily be that way, but it's just surrounded by a bunch of individuals. We're the greatest people in the world. Everything's great. The average American, you know, what was it? CNN's talking about the fact the economy's great. Why is the average American complaining about it? Well, of course, if you've got enough, large enough income to absorb all of that inflation and you're not communicating with the average individual because you're surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals you're completely disconnected from reality just and and i think that's the problem that we have going on right now and and that sets up for a very chaotic and dangerous environment over the next couple of years
0: yeah Um, yeah Uh, the way very well said the way i'm looking at this is that um for for too long this is end of empire kind of stuff for too long We've been able to get away with pretending reality doesn't exist. And so the, the people who have who more deal in narratives, they just set the narrative. Right. You know, and, and then they avoid the consequences for that for a long time. So we've been able to overprint, overspend. You know, it's just interesting to me to watch how many people are outraged that that Russia did this illegal attack of Ukraine it was like <clears throat> Iraq, Syria, Libya. Like, it's like this glass houses, stones kind of a moment for me, you know, but that's okay because only only Russia should have to bear the consequences of their actions. We don't, right? And so this group think has gone on long enough. I'm not sure they even know right from wrong, up from down anymore, but, but I'm a huge believer that if you intervene in markets, they're complex systems and you're going to get these emergent unintended consequences. And we're going to face that sooner or later, right? That avalanche of U.S. Treasury paper coming back home and interest rates shooting up and everything that's going to cause, or wow, we, we're we're actually short of oil, you know. The only way you you solve an oil shortage is you crush demand, or you make more supply. Those are your those are your two choices, right? That's correct. You can and you can crush demand with a recession, or you can do it with really high prices and a recession. Your choice, but but we're going to face that because we just didn't let the oil markets sort themselves out.
1: That's right, which they would have done. They would have done, and the market would have uh, found the most efficient solution. You know, and my biggest concern is we were we have supply issues with oil demand going forward. The demand is far greater than what the supply issues are going to be. That it didn't have to be that way if if the government had stayed out of the market and let it work itself out in the most efficient manner. We've got deficits, which are wartime deficits right now. And, and based on, I think it was um, the Kabisi letter put out, the implications of the U.S. Debt Service is a huge deal right now. You know, for nearly 20 years, costs were about 1.5%, which caused us to be complacent. Now they're closer to 5%. So $33 trillion of debt at 5% is nearly $1.7 trillion. So do we have the ability to just print these massive amounts of, of money as we have a recession and still be able to do it when we had that recession, you know, I think it's sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. And you've got a situation where when I started in the business, uh, you know, you recommended six to 12 months worth of an emergency fund for the average individual. And I, I was shocked and preparing for the presentation that that we had at the honey manager event. I was doing some data research just to, to come up to speed. So, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, a government agency that does a making ends meet study. The last one was in 2022, you know, they asked people, they said, okay, uh, you know, how long can you cover your expenses? So this was the, the study they undertook looking at a large selection of the population, but no longer was it just from your savings, okay? So they put in a couple of categories. How long can you cover your expenses from your savings, selling assets, borrowing money are going to friends and family. Now, of course, you were there, so you know the answer to the question, but 73% of the populace cannot cover their expenses for more than six months. Well, you go back to from 1854 to 2020, the average recession in the US was 17 months. There's a huge disconnect there. Now, they're shorter since 1945. So from 1945 to 2020, we're running 10 months now. But, you know, Chris, you know, as well as I know, the markets in general go down during a recession, right? There's just less buyers. So if you have to sell assets to cover uh, your expenses, you're going to sell them for a lot less than what they were going into that recession. You know, and if seven out of three people are not prepared, you've only got three people that are going to be able to buy those toys that you all of a sudden realize you need to get rid of. So the the average American has just, you know, come to the conclusion that Uncle Sam's going to uh, bail them out. You know, it's okay. I'm going to live for today. I'm going to look great on Instagram and social media when I post how you know wealthy I am. I've got this new brand new truck that I might can pay for, but I don't know enough about fi- finances to realize I just can't afford it. There's a difference between what you can pay for and what you can afford and people find that that out the hard way either during a recession or when life happens and they have a couple of emergencies that are there so we're we're in a very precarious situation economically and and something has to break and 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 my biggest concern is there's going to be a lot of hard lessons that the average individual is going to learn because their leaders are not doing their job and leading and preparing and making the hard decisions and saying, yeah, you may want this, but delayed gratification in some cases is much better for you from a long-term standpoint.
0: Yeah, those seven out of 10 people, I mean, obviously they're at 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 the edge. And so, of course, you know what's going to happen, right? We're going to get this this recession. They're going to be, it's an election year too. So there's going to be a lot of pressure to sort of, hey, didn't we just do this with the PPP loans and giving people stimmy checks? So you know, you just know that that's already, that path of good intentions is already greased, you know? So I predict more stimmy checks, which is more government spending, which means more interest payments, which means more borrowing and blah, 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 and all that. On it goes. Um, So I just want to set some context here for where this where this could go for folks, though, because, you know, like, like, oh, my gosh, you know, these these interest rates are are pretty high right now. Um, But. Here's where they could go um, is let's just get a little. So this is going back from way on the left here I think we got 1962 here we got 1988 this is the 10 year and of course we see it you know peaked out here at about what 16 17% there in early 1981 and that's of course Paul Volcker who was had real stones real huevos on that guy right yes. uh, I remember hearing, you know this is a 6 foot 5 Texan cigar chompin like he was he was a pretty serious dude and I remember uh, I was listening to this interview with him and, and somebody said, hey, Paul, if you'd known that you were gonna have to take short-term rates to 21%, would you have taken the job? You know? And he said, nope, I would have curled up under my desk, sucked my thumb and and just like... <laughs> he was the only Federal Reserve man, chairman that I'm aware of who was hung in effigy on the Washington Square by a mob of people who were upset and burned, right? So, huh. but that's what he had to do to save the system, right? caused a lot of pain but let's just put this in context we're we're, we're here right now where my red dot is we're under five percent you yeah. will note we were not anywhere near five percent for this entire set of decades in here <laughs> yeah. through the 60s the 70s the 80s we were no. way above that so can interest rates go higher the answer is of course they can
1: absolutely you know, chris also one thing to point out in late 1979 interest rates spiked relatively dramatically and they are right you know, there side. And then they came down. So, yeah. but that wasn't the end of the inflationary pressures or what uh, uh, what Volcker had to do to stamp out inflation for the benefit of the average American, for the benefit of the future of our country, quite frankly, at that point. So, you know, my concern is, is like Pavlov's dog, you know, let's say we have a recession and interest rates drop here in the short run and they put this massive stimulus out. If, if, if the Federal Reserve, uh, chairman is not serious and, and a Volcker type individual who can take the heat and do the right thing anyway, then we're going to have either, if they are, we're going to have rates a lot higher than anybody could possibly imagine. And if they're not, then inflation is going to absolutely get out of control. And I I would much rather have higher interest rates than, than inflation getting out of control because uh, uh, inflation is an equal opportunity misery deliverer. To uh, the wealthy as well, just a little bit slower than it was what it is to the average American, and there's no conservative way to protect yourself against inflation.
0: No, there isn't. And and one of the things I'm always on the lookout for, Paul, is is when they're going to change the rules, how they're going to bail out the banks, because this whole game, this whole thing, since this whole period of time, this whole era has just been, you know, G. Edward Griffin writes about this brilliantly in Creature from Jekyll Island, with taking us through the the, the pen you know a disaster you know and the, all these failures of banks it's basically the heads we win tails you lose model of banking which is they run up and take huge risks and take huge profits but then oops that goes bad on them and then they get bailed out and that's always on the taxpayer's nickel um and so a lot of that is actually hidden in in this chart right here a lot we had a lot of bailouts we had savings and loan back here we had the pen yeah all of it you know there's a lot of there's a lot of accidents going on back there um So that's been the game for a long time. And so I'm always alert to, you know, where's the next bailout? Because that thing that we had in the great financial crisis, I was so offended. The JP Morgan and Goldman Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs wrote all these these, uh, credit default swaps to AIG, which they knew were going to blow up. They knew it because they wrote them to blow up. That's all established fact. And then they blew up. And then instead of Goldman Sachs taking the loss on that because, hey, you know, we got in bed with somebody who we who we crushed, who we knew we were going to crush. They got made whole hundred cents on the dollar by Hank Paulson, who used to work there. I mean, the whole thing, you just can't make it up. Right. You know, they got a 13.9 billion dollar bailout for Goldman Sachs.
1: (laughs) So. So, and nobody went to jail with, with everything that was taking place. Nobody went to jail. Nobody's careers were absolutely ended. And what should right. have happened is let the FDIC system backstop deposits, remove everyone that was in a position of power that put those banks uh, there, and let the wiser individuals step up and take the reins of power and have somebody else try it. But that is not what mm-hmm. we did. You know, Our government protected those that were close to them. And it was circling their own wagons at the expense of the American people is what it is.
0: Yeah. Yep. So in that thread, can I just talk to you about something that got too little coverage last week um, or the week before? It was this. This popped out. I saw it at the time. Of course, I had Honey Badger coming up, so I stuffed it away till I was preparing to talk with you this morning. And I looked at it again. I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> so the Treasury, U.S. Treasury is, is doing planned debt Buybacks. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're issuing $2 trillion of new debt just to keep the cash going, right? The, and this is the opposite of that. A debt buyback is the Treasury takes cash and goes out into the market and buys its own paperback. At the same time, it's issuing $2 trillion in paper. All right, my spidey senses are up, Paul. My antennae are quivering. What is this about? So I had to go doing some digging. And, and it says here in this Reuters article, quote, the U.S. Treasury's planned buyback of its outstanding securities next year, 2024, is aimed at improving liquidity in the bond market. Hmm? In prepared huh. remarks for the ISDA uh, Conference in New York, uh, Assistant Secretary for Financial Markets Josh Frost noted the importance of maintaining flexibility and, quote, providing liquidity support to certain sectors of the treasury market. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, Well, when I get when I I stumble into something that vague, certain sectors liquidity (laughs) support.
1: (laughs) In other words, we can do whatever we want to do. Don't ask too many questions. Now, didn't you mention that that Treasury last week? I think uh, at the event was it Friday? uh, um, They had mentioned that they were not going to mark to market the bonds for the uh, for the banks. Uh, uh, Yellen said that. Did, Did I understand that correctly, or did I misunderstand?
0: Yeah, no, they're going to let them float because, of course, if the banks carry them to maturity and they don't have any intention of dishoarding them, right, and you're going to carry them off, well, then, you know, it's not really a loss, is it?
1: No, well, yeah.
0: So the question for me is, when the Treasury is going to step in and buy bonds back, under what terms?
1: That That's what I want to know. So, and that's one question I have with the buyback program. Are they going to buy these uh, bonds back at par? When they're down twenty or thirty uh, percent, and then turn around and issue new debt at higher rates, isn't that just taking more money? That's, that's, let's.
0: Business? Good question. Let's do some spelunking. Okay, let's see if, if we can figure out what what actually they intend here. Um, so this is more of from that same Reuters article. Uh, this Secretary Frost, Under Secretary said added that the corresponding rapid rise in debt issuance could significantly increase the treasuries financing costs in times of crisis <laughs> well, okay yes no yeah. duh okay the treasury announced in may plans to implement a regular buyback program in 2024 next year when it relaunches the buyback scheme the treasury said in august it intends to set a maximum amount that will be announced at each refunding this will initially begin at 30 billion per quarter 120 billion for the first year uh, what may, may, for cash management purposes i don't wait a minute. No, the treasury needs cash. It doesn't need cash going out. It needs cash coming in. So it's really, I think the the key, well, first off, why are they doing this? And what is, what, when they announced it, what did they say? Because this begins to get us, I think, to where you're going first. Um, U.S. Treasuries, if you if you take the value of current market value, to your point, um, you know, we don't want banks having to revalue what they hold at mark, market. The current market value of all the treasuries that have, that are out there that have just been issued, um, down from par value, there's about $1.4 trillion of unrealized losses out there. So if people had to sell their treasuries right now, mm-hmm. about 1.4 trillion of mark to market losses there. But you can see it's it's a, that's a that's a pretty we've never been in this situation. Notice they've been, this is that 40, 45 year bond bull market. We never went red. This no. is that little period of time you and I that caused the emergency back there in eighteen nineteen. Yeah. That little time ah then we went that COVID. Thank you, COVID. Um, and now we're here. But this is this is ridiculous. So
1: yeah. yeah, my question would be is you know, uh imagine a seesaw on the playground. You know, those bonds are gonna reset and the longer they are because you've got to have a yield to maturity equivalent to what the market rate is. So if they're going out there and they're buying these back for 1.4 trillion less than what they were issued and they're refinancing at higher rates they're not going have to do the math on it but you, you know that that's kind of a wash you're providing liquidity to the banking system so that they're not stuck with these assets that are upside down but they should lose money on those because they are the ones that speculated not the American people but I mean if they're going out and buying these things for par I mean that's really transferring a tremendous amount of extra um uh, expense. Yeah taxpayer taxpayer bailout it's a taxpayer bailout
0: before we even have a crisis right that's that i think is the plan but i'm not positive so i i I dug it up there's the link here's their very boring you know white (laughs) text on white background slide deck uh they i they i could give them some help in, in improving their But executive summary from their explanation of this buyback program, they said here, the Treasury currently believes that a buyback program could provide the greatest benefits to all stakeholders, not including taxpayers, if it adheres to the following constraints. Uh, Buyback operations would be regular and predictable. Okay, that's 30 billion a quarter, they said. Buyback operations would not be used to fundamentally change the overall maturity profile of the debt outstanding. So they're going to dip across all the, uh, the whole curve maturity curve and then buyback operations would not be used to mitigate episodes of acute market stress Huh. Well, so then i had to go digging even further and i went into a different part of the treasury i had to go back to this is back from 2002 when they last did this they okay. explained how how buybacks actually work so they say institutions that are approved by the federal reserve bank of new york so that's not me you know institutions that are approved <laughs> go for you you guess who that might be. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> right. To conduct open market transactions may participate in a buyback. Other institutions may participate in approved uh, through an approved institution. Treasury announces the buyback. Step two: interested parties submit offers. The Federal Reserve Bank evaluates the offers. Participants learn what was accepted. Treasury publishes the results. We'll see if that happens in the future. And Treasury pays for the securities agreed to buy. But nowhere in here does it say it's doing it at market rates. This, this is all we can lean on is that before it happened because people submitted offers. That's right. So that might be competitive. That that
1: could be. I hope so. I hope so.
0: Um, I do too. But you and I both know it's not going to go off at market. <laughs> I Well, I don't know that for sure, but I'm pretty sure.
1: Well, so, we're, so, there's a lack of trust that it's going to go off at market.
0: Correct. Um, so, this is continuing that Reuters article, same one we started with. You know, uh, Undersecretary Frost said debt buybacks can help improve liquidity in the bond market by providing a regular opportunity for market participants to sell back to Treasury off the run securities, which are older and less liquid across the yield curve. This should improve the willingness of investors and intermediaries to trade and provide liquidity in these securities, all else equals, knowing there's a potential outlet to sell some of their off-the-run holdings, end quote. So so what? the way I read that, Paul, is, is that what they're saying here is that they're saying, gosh, the markets are a little unliquid. Well, why is that? Well, that's because I'm holding a 4% bond and people can buy a 5% bond. They don't want my 4% bond. That's right. You know, unless I'm willing to sell it at a loss. So here's the thing that, that this is gaslighting. There's always a market for your bonds. You just have to price them at a price that will move.
1: That's exactly that's exactly <laughs> right. That that shouldn't be an issue. That should not be an issue. It's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. And in 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 that environment, you know, the average investor is going to have to go out and sell their treasury bond for what the market value will dictate. But mm-hmm. if you if you allow the banks to sell them at a at a under a different set of rules at the expense of the American taxpayer, then You know, all we're doing is continuing to fuel um, misbehavior and we're never going to get out of this crisis cycle until the whole system blows up.
0: Yep, but this is this just I just this is gaslighting. I mean, I just don't understand this because, you know, you go into any broker's office and you say, I want to buy some bonds and they have a calculator there on their computer screen. Do you want the 3% 10-year bond that's maturing in seven years at 80 cents on the dollar? Or do you want the 5% bond that's year, you know, maturing in 10 years uh, you know, at 100 cents on the dollar? I mean, there, it, it's the, the, it's equivalent in that moment in time, the return. That's right. There's no difference. So they're saying, oh, well, well, we have to increase the willingness of people to buy these things. <laughs>
1: oh. <laughs> and, the, you know... You know those- so- those that have the lower yield that you're buying for 80 cents on the dollar are appropriate for certain individuals from a tax planning standpoint that don't necessarily need the income, but they need the diversification. So, um, you know, there's a market for every bond that's for sale out there. Uh, if they'll just get out of the way and let the market uh, uh, have price discovery.
0: Yeah. They'll clear them out. It's, it's kind of like, you know, when you, you hear about like, they're like, oh, we have, we have this huge labor shortage in the fast food industry. I'm like, no, you don't. You have a wage shortage. That's right. people enough, they'll show up. It's not, <laughs> it's just, nope, it's a, you have a pay problem. But this is the part that caught me, the gaslighting in yellow down here. Quote, the buyback program will also help Treasury's cash management by reducing the volatility in its cash balance and bill issuance, he pointed out, and this is complete BS what do you, what do you mean reduce volatility in its cash like like they present it like it's a problem they're solving <laughs> what is that <laughs> what do you mean volatility in its cash balance <laughs> i don't nope. okay so for people who maybe don't aren't following along with why i'm cracking up uh, that that's like saying oh we we just had you know we're going to have to spend 2 trillion more than we're taking in this year so we're going to have to issue all this debt and sometimes we just have a little too much cash lying around
1: for that that apparently is volatile, but yet we've never seen the money markets break the buck. It came close in two thousand eight, and what I mean by breaking the buck is drop below a dollar a share in a money market account. Yeah, cash so management, management is shorter term maturities.
0: Hmm. I I don't get this. Um. So anyway, it just doesn't make. Anyway, it's it's BS. So I, and when there's this much BS, Paul, I'm my trust is at the point where I trust that this means they're gaslighting, they're hiding something, and this is just another way to potentially bail out some big market participants. Because this is all what got enshrined under the odious, execrable Timothy Geithner systemically important banks. Too big to fail, right? Right. Like, well, let's try it. Let's just let one of those bad boys go and see what happens, you know? (laughs) We'll find out, you know, if how bad that really would be. Um, So here's my conclusion to this. So I I would like to get to what people can do. What does it mean? First, I'm convinced Treasury borrowing and interest costs, those are going to have to rise because – they're going to be basically using cash to buy things that they were going to be paying a lower rate of interest on. Even yeah. if they clear those out, it's some sort of a parse, you know, below par savings. Um, we both know it's not going to be fully at market rates. And so, guaranteed, they're going to have to borrow more to cover for the things they just bought back. And they're going to be borrowing at this new higher rate. So, interest costs are going to rise.
1: That's right. That's which right. means
0: interest rates are going to have to head higher at some point here because the government's just going to be doing more borrowing, not less. <laughs> and because of that, I think we're going to have more fiscal difficulties um, in all of this because it's going to be harder and harder, particularly if a recession comes and we have the stimmy checks. I think it's just going to be hard for the government to – it's going to have to borrow more to do all the things it wants to do, including bailing out the banks now.
1: uh-huh. Frustrating.
0: We're gonna to have to watch this one like a hawk because what if it turns out this is a self-dealing enterprise and the Federal Reserve Bank is actually sitting on losses? It has a huge bond portfolio.
1: You know, I didn't think about that. That's a good point. That's a good point. Now I did read something last week that the Federal Reserve is apparently laying off some employees due to their losses. Uh and I <laughs> could not find an article before we, but it was a headline that I saw and I I stuck it somewhere, either in my bookmarks or it never made it to my email address. I was like, I want to have that. but So I cannot verify that. But I did yeah. read whether it was true or not. I've got to go back and research it. But that's interesting if there's some self-dealing there. That would be yeah. even more egregious. But well, um, you know,
0: they'll hide it. You'll have to I'll have to track this all the way at the Qsip numbers. I did this for a while because remember that the Fed came out. It was under Yellen, maybe Bernanke. We're not monetizing the debt. <laughs> but I would look and see that the Treasury would auction off, and it has a QSIP number, which is the identifying number for that run of securities. So I would watch that QSIP number, and I would track it, and I could see that it was bought by a primary dealer and ended up on the Fed's balance sheet that same day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You could track it. So we're not monetizing debt directly. Oh, no, it spent an hour over on J.P. Morgan's you know, yeah. balance sheet before it ended up on the Fed's balance sheet. Yeah. Uh, And, of course, J.P. Morgan took a cut for its service, (laughs) you know, a few basis points. (laughs) And then they reported great earnings. It's a whole thing. It's a a scam, though. This whole
1: thing feels scammy to me. It really is. And at some point, at some point, they're not going to be able to cover it up anymore. Or maybe maybe there's a crisis so large that nobody goes back to look and see uh, what took place behind the scenes. Either way, it's unethical. And either way, it's dishonest. And, you know, what's so frustrating to me is I I have a conversation with my my kids and my friends on a regular basis is, you know, always embrace the courage to speak the truth and hear the truth. And we don't have the courage in the halls of power to speak truth, right, to the American people. It's all, let's cover this up, let's censor this, let's, 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 uh, you know, uh, suppress this individual because they're speaking the truth and we can't handle this. You know, we're just not mentally strong enough to admit that we were wrong. I mean, people do their best with good intentions and make wrong decisions all the time. But the only way that we can get better is to understand, apologize. I'll not do that again. Learn from our mistakes and, and press on to the greater achievements of the future. But that's not what what's taking place with our leadership right now. And you know what we're seeing in the markets. You know, I think Chris back around July, August. I look at the date right now, which I know it's the end of September. Um, we talked about coming into this danger zone for the markets, and the markets have thrown a lot of volatility around here recently. You know, we've had a pretty strong sell off this month, and you know, I'm curious to see what's going to transpire for the end of the uh, for the fourth quarter because there's all this talk that's out there, and there's palpable fear in the investment management industry that, hey, since 1987, the fourth quarter has been up 80% of the time and, and there's going to be this huge squeeze, you know, melt up and everything's going to be great headed into the end of the year. And that's where the big institutions are going to, you know, push this last one, you know, big surge in the market so that they can transition all of their assets over before we get into the recession in the first quarter of next year. I'm not so sure that it's worth, you know, trying to pick those. I don't know that it's worth the risk to try to pick up those pennies in front of that steamroller. Right. You know, because we've got major issues that are taking place under the surface. I mean, just recently, you know, they had the uh, revision to GDP that came out for the updated report. Let's see if I can find it in my notes here. Yeah. So personal consumption was revised down dramatically in the latest GDP uh, revision report. So from 1.7 in the second quarter to 0. 0.8. That's less than half of what the estimate was and the headline numbers were. So we're starting to see this put some pressure on the consumer and the consumer is a large portion of our economy. And and I've got one chart here. This was from the BEA, the Bureau of Economic Analysis. And, and if I can share my screen with you here for just a second. Um,
0: hold on one second um, I will have to just click one button
1: here there you go Now, uh, bear with me just a second I got to get this over so I can do the portion of screen and if I can get that up I think you can see there that it is yeah so this yep. is household interest expense has risen to the highest level ever recorded now this goes back to 1978 but look at the pace of that change now this is Whoa. from the Bureau of Economic Analysis. So you know now it makes sense where we see credit card rates dramatically rising. Right, we see the consumer is yeah still spending like a drunken sailor because credit is easily accessible, but that's a that's a dramatic impact that's going to take place um, on the balance sheet of the average consumer. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a huge number and a rapid rate of change. So. You know, sometimes when things change so fast, people don't react quickly, but they're going to have to react. And I think we're going to start seeing that a lot more over the next six to 12 months. The question is, can through the policies of the administration and this narrative control, can they kick this can down the road into the election? And I think that's becoming harder and harder to do, and the market's starting to rebel against that with interest rates starting to continue to rise. And oil, especially the wild card for inflation going uh forward. I mean, there's there's several institutions calling for $150 a barrel oil over the next six months. Um, and at the pace of this move, do we get there? I don't know, but this is a precarious environment. I still believe that we're in the danger zone. I think uh, so too. And I think they shot their wad
0: too early on this whole story because you know now would be the time to start dishoring these spr
1: <laughs> yes, it would be
0: now, right. coming into 2024 if that was your aim you know right. uh and and you know we know that the federal reserve is is really in a tough spot so they're going to be leaned on politically so i'm just everybody's waiting for the pivot you know when do they announce the pause and finally begin pushing things down as you've mentioned the stock market doesn't really usually crumble until they begin that that pivot And that's in times past when the pivot was because they said, oh, we're getting some economic like smoke signals. We better start cutting. Right. Right. Um, Because they're trying to engineer that that mythical soft landing. Uh, But but this time they're going to be receiving more and more political pressure to cut because, you know, it's an election cycle. And wouldn't we all like to have some some more punch in the punch bowl for that moment? But at the same time, with oil doing what it's about to do, the Fed's going to be it's hard because the political pressure on the one hand, you got. People are starting to get really cranky about inflation, right? We know we've been gaslit, we know we've been lied to, we know it's not it's some whole multiple, 2 or 3 higher than yeah. what they tell us it is, right? But we know that because we have our daily shopping experience that suggests that's true. Um and of course people are having a harder and harder time making ends meet and they're starting to talk about it more openly on TikTok and Facebook. Like people are talking about it now. They are. Um, even though we found out as part of the censorship stuff that they did, right? They censored people talking about vaccines and COVID. They also censored people who did parody accounts of President Biden. They also censored people who were talking about um the economy in a negative light, right?
1: They did. They did. Well, and and Chris, I think that the stock market is is covering up a lot of problems right now because the average person's busy they're working two jobs trying to make ends meet they want to go see their family they're so done tired of the gaslighting they're they're ignoring the major news media at this point they're just trying to live their lives but their 401k balances are okay they still feel comfortable about their job their their company Mm -hmm. stock is holding up there relatively well but imagine if stock market is 30 percent below where it is right now don't you think the discussion about these payments from China and these wires that are taking place are going to upset the average individual a lot uh, uh, more dramatically than they are now. So I think you talked about the markets being a signaling device. I don't believe that they anticipate the future like they used to. There's too much manipulation that's taking place. I mean, if that was the case, the market would have already anticipated interest rates being here and it wouldn't be You know, selling off dramatically just because interest rates are reaching out to all time highs. It's reacting to what's taking place. But, you know, I think the narrative of the markets is helping to paper over a lot of sins right now. And uh, when these markets give up and and they accept reality and the reality of how tough this is going to be for the next 12, 24, 60 months to work our way out of the situation we're in. I think that's when the average American's gonna, gonna bowl over with, with a lot of uh, rage and frustration and no longer allow, hopefully no longer allow these narratives to take place and accept being lied to and gaslit and all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. I, I, well, and I certainly hope we can get to um, reality again. I, I, yeah. I know this would be really painful. And I'm just, maybe this is just a fantasy wish and it's just dumb. Just tell me to, to shut up. But all I want, Paul, is I just want the markets to be markets. I just want them, you know, l- let, them, let them be occasionally, um, you know, uh, telling the wrong story. Let them occasionally overshoot one way or the other, right? But this whole idea that we can manage markets, I think is a conceit. And I think it leads to bigger problems. And, you know, it's just uh, at this point, you know, could, can, the, can the stock market even survive without what I consider to be almost daily interventions now? And it's a very complicated thing, and I can show people it operates through the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and involves VIX, puts, and futures, and leverage plays like puts and calls as well as futures. It doesn't involve the actual cash market. What we all get, what's get reported, you open up the Wall Street Journal, you look at CBS, MarketWatch, whatever. Um, those are the head, they always report the cash, what's happening in the cash market, right? right. For stocks that is now the proverbial dog the tail that's wagging that dog <laughs> is all this other stuff now you have to know about crazy stuff like uh 0dte yeah. you know zero day you know trading options all this you got to know about like you know what's the long short balance on the futures where's the put call how much you know how how short is somebody on the vix right it's just crazy it's like all this junk
1: um, oh. I, I'm so upset that I have to watch that, you know. And I look at you look <laughs> yeah. at the volatility suppression products that come out now. You know, it's a highly risky game to to sell, um, uh, put you know, to sell options and and suppress the VIX. And now you've got a retail component that's coming out there, and gamma squeezes and CTAs, which CTAs are not the commodity trading uh, individuals, but the hedge funds that operate under uh, managed future strategies you know, you've got to pay attention to how those are swinging the market because those are huge flows of money that can technically cause the markets to stay up in spite of the underlying economic uh, fundamentals. So, you know, I, I really wish we did get back to a free market. And I think if we were at a free market with all of the government intervention, the market would look out there, make all as efficiently as possible, as low as possible to the average individual. And then the market's also going to look out there and say, hey, there is a market for these electric vehicles. This is something that, that that we want to utilize. But allow it to unfold at the market's directive because market participants aren't stupid. They want to they want to deliver to people what they desire. And they also want to offer good products that are going to help them over the future. You know, but here we are with all these, you know, government interventions. So we've got zombie companies, companies that need to fail so that better products can be offered. And I think that's one of the reasons why there's just horrendous customer service out there across the large majority of businesses at this point, because they don't have to provide good customer service because they feel protected and and, um, you know, as long as the, the money centers are bailing them out, you know, why do they have to be great at customer service? It would be better for all of us if we go back to a completely free market.
0: I, I totally agree. And and uh, I'm a big believer in the, the free markets. But we haven't really had free markets. All these people like, oh, you know, is it communism or capitalism? Like, we haven't seen really either at this point. <laughs> you know, it, they're nice words, but we don't have that, right? And, uh, and and you know it's just provably obvious that you know there's a a corporate state interest merger right where you know good luck so let's imagine like I want to start a pharma company no you can't you know if you want no. to sort of compete with them you can't you couldn't the barriers to entry regulatory are too high right
1: way too high try to try to start a new airline right now and Lord knows we could use some competition in the airline industry or an auto manufacturing company, you know, unless you're connected to the money center, to the money print, money printers, or the regulatory uh, powers, unless you get their blessing, you're not going to have access to it. What they're going to do is the big money is going to come buy your idea, they're going to offer you enough money to where you don't bring it to market, and then they're going to set it on a shelf, and, and the consumer is not going to see the innovation, because it is going to impact their profits. And I hate to be that cynical, but I think we all know that's where we are right now, and that's another reason something has to break. Yeah. Well, I mean, we saw that
0: around COVID over and over again. So, uh, yeah. but anyway, so so so, but these imbalances has have been, have been building for a very long time, Paul. This is why I really advise people to have a very comprehensive wealth management strategy, which includes make sure your soil's good and have a garden and and yeah. you know really really be ready because this could be highly disruptive, will be highly disruptive when. breaks no there's no more ifs about it it's just when at this stage right because we all know that there's a there's this math problem like like you can't the government federal government cannot continue to run two then three then four trillion dollar yearly deficits forever there's a there's a point there where it just doesn't work anymore right and then what right well you better be ready for some tough times um because it's just very different Now, now bad news the economy really takes it in the shorts when that happens. Good news, people yeah. will always have an economy. We'll always be trading with each other. You, you know, but, you find economies in supermax prisons where there's no cash but goods and services are being exchanged across some other network of of, you know, um uh, trading terms, right? So so but that's I mean I have great faith. People will always will always have an economy. I will have something that you'll need and vice versa under any circumstance I can imagine including supermax prison, right? So that's,
1: right. so. That's a good point, Chris. It's not going to go away. And as a matter of fact, innovation will come through, but there's going to be a reduction in the standard of living in the process of what people have been used to. And and, and if they prepare ahead of time and, and listen to, to the warnings that you're placing out there, the warnings that I'm placing out there, and, and realize, hey, there is a different way to do it. It takes some courage. I need to understand the strengths and weaknesses of the approach that I want to take make the best decision and diversify, knowing that you're not going to navigate it perfectly. We're in uncharted territory, you know, 10 years from now, we're going to look back and go, wow, if we'd have done this, this, and this, we would have navigated it perfectly. You don't need to navigate it perfectly, but you have to be able to to be adaptive enough to come through it as unscathed as possible. You know, it's like, if you're wearing a bulletproof vest, It is bulletproof, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to get the wind knocked out of you. I mean, we've all seen it on the movies. They get shot with with a gun and you think they're dead, but then they reveal that they had a bulletproof vest and they've got a huge bruise uh, over their teeth. There's still some pain, but there's a difference between recovering from that pain and going forward. So I think it's more crucial now than ever you know, to make sure that people are working, you know, know the strategy that you're under, know the weakness, ask, okay, hey, what if the markets drop 50%? What, will we even try to do anything to to mitigate that loss? Will we, you know, when would you recommend we lower the risk in the portfolio? Is it because I'm scared and you want to tell me what I want to hear? Or is it because of the fact that we have an approach that says, hey, this is a risk. This is how we're going to deal with the risk. So I think everybody would be better prepared if they'll sit down and and seriously, with fear and trembling, ponder the steps that they're taking and the path they're headed in their decision-making process. Because when this starts moving, Chris, I think it's going to start moving really quickly. And if, you know, once something breaks, there's going to be a it's like the dominoes. Everything's going to break and maybe they can stop it. Well, not everything's going to break. There will be some things that don't break, and that's where you want to try to make sure you're in a position to. So, that's an exercise that I would encourage everybody to do. And, two, look, based on that data, beef up your emergency funds. You know, I don't recommend just six months, I recommend 12 months, ideally and preferably. Uh, preferably 24 months, right? Because if you don't need it, that's opportunity money that you have. But what if this is a little more severe and closer to the longer term average of 17 months? There's a possibility that you might be one of those individuals that can't find employment for 17 months with higher prices. And the better prepared you are for that is the difference between taking one or two steps back on the other side of this, or coming out the other end with sold all your assets for pennies on the dollar, you're in debt. That's going to take you another twenty years to work out, and you're, you know, absolutely financially hitting the reset button. I
0: agree. I agree. I am. Um. I, I hold a lot of junk silver.
1: <laughs> I like silver. <laughs> Not I like right.
0: silver for I got I got a whole thing we could talk about. We should do an episode on silver sometime because it's it's again I'm a supply I'm a fundamental guy. I I like supply demand. Yeah. last year we mined 840 million ounces of silver it has been about that same level for a decade the world consumed 1.2 billion and um that's a problem and we're just pretending as if that's nothing and silver gets slammed in the paper markets routinely but but i have enough of this i think that i can contribute meaningfully to jumpstarting my local economy by getting this back in circulation that's why i hold it yes. right um and, and that feels like a, a reasonable thing and it's it's a might sound a little crazy to some people, but it's it's a, poss- it's, a it's a non-zero possibility that that, that might actually be a, a viable way to go forward in this story, you know?
1: Right. I agree. And, you know, and, and of course, I can't make the recommendation because I'm a licensed professional. You've got to talk to someone, talk to myself or talk to an advisor who understands what's taking place. You talk to your uh, average retail, modern portfolio theory individual, they're going to tell you you're crazy for owning silver. Uh, mm-hmm. just because quite frankly they don't make as much money off of it as they do elsewhere but the but the reality is you know if we have some li- liquidity issues if we have this market hit consider averaging into again not a recommendation individually I can't do that but but a strategy would be instead of saying consider that's better term terminology a strategy would be to take advantage of buying the dips right you know maybe maybe we see the buying the dips as an opportunity in in silver over the next as this unfolds like looking back since 2013 it was buy the dips you know because there is no other alternative and um you know silver has unbelievable fundamental uh reasons to own it uh just like you stated Chris now i do like that little metal yeah yeah it's a
0: um and of course, nobody knows where the future is going to go. So that's why you have to have a really good diversified strategy um, across all these things. So, so yeah, that's just, this is, this is a strategy. So are my cows. Um, so is the garden. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all my <I'll>, friends. <laughs> you gardening know, help reduce your costs, but it's, it's, uh, it's good. It's just good for your soul. You know, it's good for me to be out in the dirt and, here are the animals. And of course, I don't like the little pests that come in from time to time, but there's no greater reward than harvesting what you've planted. You know, where it came, know what went into that soil. That's such a blessing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And in particularly in this day and age where trust is low for all the junk that's being put into our food system. Um, But somebody at this, at this uh, honey badger event had said, you know, oh yeah, you got cows out in the field and you know, how do you really think about them? I'm like, that's 3 freezers worth of meat i don't have to freeze it's just out there walking around you know and doing really incredible things to the soil and and uh you know it, it's like it's it makes sense on so many levels plus i like them i just like them like it's it. a rich it's a richer it's it's a it, there's more it's a more interesting field for their presence you know uh, i just moved them this morning up a paddock you know just it gave them fresh grass they love it i love it everybody's having fun so a lot of reasons to
1: to enjoy that for me what is that breed chris if you don't mind me asking a belted galloway belted galloway i was really impressed with both their look and their demeanor you know i my my grandfather my uncle raised Santa sanagertruta's cattle and you know i mean they were trying to charge you every time I, I turned around it was like you know working them was was very good for your basketball game because uh <laughs> you know how to wait quickly so belted belted again yep galloway
0: Galloways. yeah we had we had um we had some herefords and and uh, the mama spat out a baby you know here and and he if you turned your back on him you'd have to keep your ears out because he would charge you every time okay you you just charge so i didn't like those guys and they had horns these guys come with no horns you don't have to pull them um and they're very gentle and and reasonable you know
1: so you don't have to send them to the freezer camp As uh, I heard in one of the presentations, because of their attitude, do (laughs) you? Exactly. The other
0: ones, the attitude got them in the freezer pretty quick. Um, So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, with that, um, hey, thanks so much for your time today. I know I got a lot out of it, so appreciate your knowledge and experience here.
1: It's my honor, Chris. It's my honor. And I will encourage every participant, everyone that's listening out there, if you've not been to the Honey Badger event, make sure you sign up and go next year. You will not regret it. It was a wonderful time, and I was so pleasantly surprised. My wife had a a wonderful time. Um, Don't miss it next year. uh, You will not regret going.
0: Well, thank you for that. Thank you for that. and I, I agree. Everybody should come if you have a chance. All right. With that, we'll see everybody next time. Have a great weekend if you're watching this on Friday, and um, we'll any questions, comments, leave them below. We'll get to them, and uh, if there are any that are appropriate for Paul, of course, we'll see if he can answer those for you directly. So thanks, thanks bye everyone, this. bye.